This is the Big League Dad Podcast with Travis Brown. Welcome to the Big League Dad Podcast. My name is Travis Brown, and this podcast exists to inspire Arizona dads to take a more active role in the lives of their family. And let me tell you something today to kick off this podcast. We couldn't have a better person to kick it off with. He's a guy that uh, all of you probably know. You know his voice. You know his passion. You know his toughness. Uh, But there is a side of Ron Wolfley uh, that you're going to hear today uh, where he opens up and not just talks about being a dad uh, in the success side of it, but also opens up in all the failures that he has made. I think you're really going to enjoy today's podcast you know what you know how i think of you no i equate you as the as the uh, most interesting man in the world <laughs> as, I think, as i think You're about so somebody locally who exudes passion <laughs> and toughness who played in the oh. nfl who had who had restaurants named after them <laughs> and uh who's on the airways all the time uh man thanks for thanks for coming and, and just having a me? conversation with me man i, I uh, consider it an honor to uh, call you my friend well first of all you know how much i love you yeah you are a great dude man and uh it's been a pleasure of course getting to know you over all these years uh, but I'm the son of a truck driver, right? <laughs> I, am, I am the son of a truck driver, and you know my story. I grew up in Orchard Park, New York. Orchard Park is built on a hill. The higher up the hill you went, the more money you had. I, being the son of a truck driver, live below sea level. <laughs> and it's uh, – I'm just very, very thankful for everything that God has given me in my life. Mm. Well, Wolf, today, man, I, I want to dive into to more of that. Okay. People hear you on Sunday afternoons sure. talking about the Cardinals. They hear you on Doug and Wolf in the morning. They get to, to hear your sports takes. But take me back to Orchard Park, New York, and yeah. talk to me about your upbringing and your brothers and your mom and dad and what life was like there living below sea level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Trav, for the most part, we we were Amish, but we drove cars. Um, We had that kind of fundamental mentality. Um, Everybody everybody on my mom's side and my dad's side, everyone knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the kind of family that I grew up in, where the Bible, and it was so fundamentally sound, where I went to a church— where the the church was had no pastor. It was set up after the early church in Acts, the book of Acts, literally, where wow. they didn't have a pastor. Elders ran the church, wow. right? And um, that's what I grew up in, a family. I, I want to say it was family. There's no doubt, but five families really populated the church. Now, there were other people, but I, I want to say on a Sunday, we'd get 200 people. A Sunday morning, you know, yeah. Sunday school, here we go, right? And we get about 200 people. It was about five major families that uh, were involved, and I came from the Palmer side, that being my mom's side, the Palmer family. And the, the Palmers were all over this church. It was run by the brethren, as a matter of fact. And growing up, I, I'll never... I'm so happy that I grew up in that church because it was so um, fundamentally sound, scripturally, 
that the gospel is what you heard over and over and over and over again. And I'm so thankful uh, to the Lord that I grew up in that kind of environment. And um, you can't take Jesus from me. Well, you, you can't take Jesus. As you were growing up, um, I know your dad was like your hero. Um, and uh, you talk about Jesus Christ was the foundation of everything your family did. What Coming up on Father's Day here, what were some of the things that you saw faith-wise from your dad that uh, made a lasting impact on you individually? Yeah, you know, just the fact that my dad was a it was a tough guy. There's no doubt about that. He was tough, but he loved Jesus as well. And it's it's interesting that he was so busy trying to support all of us, five kids for the most part, once again, in a house that literally had two bedrooms and we slept downstairs in the basement. And when I say downstairs, I'm talking about below the ground. My three brothers in a 10 by 10 room that was built into the basement. That's where we live. My dad was working so hard to support us all for the most part that it was really my mom that was the example on a daily Mm -hmm. basis, more so than my dad. My dad was so busy, of course. Yes, he loved Jesus, but he was a failed and flawed product, just like all of us. Um, Just as far as a model goes, I could tell you that my mom modeled Jesus on a daily basis. I would say more so than anybody else in my life. What did that look like? What what was what oh, was when you lo- think you of know, your mom sacrifice. growing up? Yeah. Sacrifice, man. I mean the the self-sacrifice. My dad's sacrifice was obvious. He was gone so much of the time as a truck driver and trying to support his family, right? And but my mom it was more on a daily basis just seeing her. She she used to eat drive us. When I say I was poor, she used to eat where she'd make our sandwiches for school, right? And you got five kids in school and she'd take a bite out of the corner of it. And that was how she fed herself. She'd wow. take a bite out of the corner of it wow. <laughs> and put it back into your lunch. And now all of a sudden you're here you are, you're in third grade and you take your sandwich out and there's a bite out of the corner of your sandwich right there. And, you know, kids are looking at you like, well, who did that? What is that right there? And, you know, and I remember being really embarrassed when I was in elementary school because there was always a bite out of the corner of my sandwich. And I remember I used to try to hide it. And then I realized um, what it truly meant when I was maybe in fifth grade, sixth grade, what it truly meant. And I stopped trying to hide it because I knew it was. Yeah. You became proud of it. Yeah. That's amazing. This woman, I, I, I cannot, I'll tell you a story. And I, I get emotional, as you can tell. I get emotional when I talk about my mom. I get emotional when I talk about uh, a lot of things. Uh, but I am an emotional guy. Um, it's so funny because so many people listen to me and go, man, you're, you're putting it on for the game, right? You're putting it on. No, no, I'm not. I should take that. I guess I should be a little offended by that, but I'm not putting it on. It's all genuine. It's genuine me. And I am an emotional guy. It served me very, very well on the football field. I will tell you that. Uh, it has betrayed me in times such as this <laughs> as well. But I remember being seven years old. It was a true story. 
and growing up in Buffalo, New York. And I remember coming out from the cold one Saturday, um, and it was just bitterly cold, and, which is typical, of course, in the winters up in Buffalo, New York. And I remember coming in, and when I when you come through the garage door, you came right into the kitchen of my house. And if you looked right to your right as you walked through the door, you'd see the sink. And I remember as I stepped in and shut the door and tr- trying to warm up and stand on the the mat that was there, my mom was washing dishes at the sink. And I want to say she was probably in her 30s at the time, late 30s, somewhere in there. And I remember looking at her face and seeing this face that was young And then I looked at her hands, and her hands, because she washed the dishes. She didn't have a dishwasher. She washed the dishes, and they were much older than what I thought they should have been. Mm. And it was because she had the classic dishpan hands, for the most part. And I remember just staring at her for, I want to say, five seconds. And I was seven years old again, and I was just staring at her just wow, mom, you're, 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 you do so much for us. Thinking to myself as I'm staring at her, she didn't, she didn't see me there, or at least she didn't acknowledge me when I came in. And suddenly after five seconds of being filled with this appreciation for all that she does for us, she turns to me and says, I love you, Ronnie. Hmm. And, you know, and you're just like, like, like it was on cue. And, um, that woman and the sacrifices that she has made for me, uh, it it translated very, very well to the football field to sacrifice for your teammates and give what you had to give. Hmm. Wolf, um, you grow, you're growing up in Buffalo, New York. You have this foundation. You, you see your mom just give so much to your, you and your family. Um, laying down her life in a in a part of the country, I know I, I played there for three years. I I know what the what the core of Buffalo <laughs> is right. all about. That's if you right. If you've seen any if you've seen any fan base tailgate, yes, um, you've never seen it like the Buffalo Bills fans. The when Bills they take mafia. Pride. And, and, and it being 10 below zero. Yes, yes. At some point of you growing up um, in this, in this uh, foundational Christian home, at some point your faith probably became yours. Yes. There was a, probably a yep. moment. There was a conversation. Yep. Uh, take me to that moment. Yeah, you know what? I was 12 years old, as a matter of fact. And again, you know, everybody had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on, on my side of the family. Uh, that being my mom's and my dad's, of course. Everybody had done that. And um, I was 12 years old, and I realized, my goodness, you know what? I, I know all the stories. I know all the truth. I know all of of the teachings of Jesus. And yet I don't know if I've ever come to a point where I literally have said, you know what? I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. And um, I realized this while I was at a camp. It was a camp church called Otisega, as a matter of fact. Google that. Why don't you? Otisega. And I remember being out there, and um, I was 12, and I was in this this cabin because they had cabins, and sixth graders went to this certain cabin, and there was our teacher, and he had the old felts. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can remember the felts where the you know the felt characters and they'd put oh this was Noah and uh, you know this is Moses and you know they they tell Bible stories by literally felting putting people up on this felt board and I remember the teacher was talking about how you know the old nature and the new nature and she put this this old felt up on the felt board of this. 98-year-old guy, at least he looked like he was 98. He was all crunched over and bent over and looked like he was kind of a mess, right? And this was the old nature, our old nature, right? And now once you accept Christ, it's the new nature. And she put up this felt of Mr. Clean. <laughs> he looked like Mr. Clean. He had a bald head. He had the, ear, the whole deal looked like Mr. Clean. And it dawned on me that I had not made that decision in my life. And um, that's when I did Hmm. that night. Now, listen, I was 12 years old at the time. I lived for Jesus all through my high school, my college, my professional career. But as you know, it is an up. It's a journey. It is a walk. Did I fall every day? I fell. Do I fall today? Every day I fall down and come short of his glory. But that's okay because I am forgiven. Isn't it it funny? You're... The picture you had of being a Christ follower was Mr. Clean. Yeah. But a right. lot of times we feel like that 98-year-old <laughs> shriveled up guy and we're it's still following truth, Christ. Right? And where where is that where is that balance? Um as you go off, you go off to West Virginia, you go on the NFL, um now you're in Arizona and you got this career. T- talk to me about the balance of that, of these failures in life. One thing that that every single one of us have in common, you just mentioned it, you and I um, are so similar in this. We're so broken, beaten, um, uh, imperfect people. Yes. Um, how I have think you I've con- got you beaten. I don't think dramatically. so. How have you continued to, to persevere through that? And now you're 56 years old. Yes. I want to remind you of that, just by the way. You're 56 years old, and you're still pursuing Jesus with yeah. your life. Yeah. Uh, how did you How did you overcome? I'm guessing that there's a lot of people that are listening to this yeah. that are saying, yeah, but I've, I've messed up. I've messed up too much, man. You, you've had this glorious life, and I look at Wolf, you're Mr. Clean. Oh, my goodness. I've done too much to—, to to get my life back. Where do I begin on that, Trav? I, I really don't know. Um, I failed in flawed product, just a sinner saved by grace. I, I cannot tell you. Um, listen, I, you know, I grew up, I married my high school sweetheart, and um, we had four kids together, and I totally did not lead my family. I, I left my family down when it, when I all all the way through again got married when I was twenty one in college, right? And she was the only girl I was ever with, the only girl I ever knew. She was fourteen years old. We were when we got together, high school sweetheart, and and just a situation where in year eight of my NFL career, I, I for whatever reason I took my eye off what it was that was my foundation and that was my faith, my faith in Jesus. And suddenly I, I, I was not in God's word. I was not praying as much. I was, I was becoming lukewarm is what I was becoming. And you know what the Bible says about lukewarm. 
and that I will spit you out of my mouth. And that happened. That happened to me. And I led my family down a road that uh, has cost me dearly to this day. And so when people look at me and they think of this, oh, my goodness, he's got this perfect life. Um, it's anything but that. It really is. I have four kids to this day that want nothing to do with me. Mm. Four kids to this day that I love that want nothing to do with me as their dad because when my f- marriage fell apart in my 10th year in the National Football League, after leading my family down the wrong road, God took everything, punished me. The Bible says that he disciplines those that he loves as a father disciplines a son, so he disciplines us. And that love brought the hammer down on me because he did not create me to be this lukewarm individual and to not lead my family spiritually. He did not create me to do that. The lesson that I learned through that experience of having this marriage fall apart and basically turning into a wraith for four and a half years where I, man, I'm, it's so difficult for me to talk about this because all I can think of are my kids today. I have an 11 year old and a nine year old and I want to be careful how I say it, but I, I came down to Phoenix for the most part and just didn't care about anything. 1998, came down here after my marriage had fallen apart, everything had fallen apart. I didn't see, I didn't see what I had created, what I had done. And I came down here and I was angry and I was hurt and I was upset. And I came to the one place that I I remembered being happy and drank myself asleep almost every night with a bottle of Jack Daniels. I ever, I mean, I kid you not. Um, four and a half years of running. Adam and Eve, I have no idea how long they hid from God in the garden. I have no idea. But I do know what it felt like because that's what I was doing. Running from from him and what I had done. And that that has left scars on me and on my children to this day. What brought you out of that hole that you were in four and a half years in? Um, Jesus brought me out of it. Uh, God brought me out of it. You need to go ahead. Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Go ahead and read that. Read that, 1 through 14. Read Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. That is a word picture for me and where I was. And yet, he breathed life back into me. And um, so amazing. And this is the way God works. And you, you know this right now, Travis, right? But this is the way that God works in your life. When you, when you give yourself to him, um, he says, I'm for you, not against you. And... The, the woman who was pouring Jack Daniels <laughs> into my 
drank my glass would be the woman that I was going to marry and be married to for 20 years. And it's going to be 19 years, as a matter of fact, this June 30th. going to be 19 years. And um, it's just amazing. As I was sitting there with my three packs of Lucky Strikes and my bottle of Jack Daniels, I would sit there just so filled with darkness and angry and upset and confused and hurt. And and I just would sit there and look at this beautiful blonde woman whose name was Stephanie. And I would never say anything but hi to her for the most part. Hi, how are you? I wouldn't talk to her. I had no idea how to even talk to a woman anyways. I mean, I was out there 35 years old. I had no idea whatsoever how to do it. But she was this little light, this little firefly in all of this darkness that I had created. This little firefly because she was so noble and honorable. And how much I I respected that in her when she had all these options, professional athletes coming up to her, propositioning her, and yet she she was noble and remained so. And um, three years built up this friendship just by coming in almost every day to this place and having her pour Jack Daniels into my glass and... Again, the conversations, they expanded. There's no doubt about that, but it was still very buttoned up. It was no kind of coming on conversation to her. I wouldn't do that to her because I was a mess, and she was this beautiful kid that was trying to build her life. She was going to ASU, putting herself through college. You know, I had so much respect for that. So, again, a friendship was born, but that, that place shut down, and I didn't see her for almost a year. And then suddenly God put her right back in front of me. And from that point forward, um, we did have a relationship and get married. And um, that's that was really, truly the beginning of um, healing. We're heading into Father's Day coming up here. Um as listening to you um, tell your story about being a dad and yeah. some of the regrets and, and the strained relationship Failures. with four kids Failures. and your two kids that are in your home now. Um, I, I know there's somebody that's listening to this that might be on the very um, beginning of that spectrum of just stepping away or just feeling this divide in their family and potentially heading down the same road of destruction that you did. What, what do you wish you could go back and tell Ron Wolfley 25 years ago? What would you say to him? Oh my goodness. Um, I would respond so differently to my own destruction. I would respond so differently. I would do things differently. Um, I left because I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with, um, my own failure. So I ran. If I had to do it all over again, I would not have run. I would have stood there and faced the music. I would have stood there and faced my own reality that I had created. It wasn't, it wasn't until years after Trev that I could really look at it and see what I had done. It, that, that was, see, that was the worst part about it. It was years after that 
where I could look at myself and really understand what it was that I had done. How are, be aware. Be aware of your situation, and I would not have run. You need to stand and face the music, and you need to be there for your kids above all else. And the fact that I didn't see it makes me, in my own heart, king of the scumbags. Wolf, how are you a different dad now <laughs> with your two kids than you were back then? Oh, my goodness. I... I it is, it is something I have to continue to focus on because if I allow myself to think of my, my four kids and the estranged nature of that relationship, Trev, uh, it, it, it keeps me from being everything I need to be to my two kids now, my 11-year-old and my 9-year-old, right, and to my wife as well. I have to be good for them so I can't dwell on that that kind of sadness and this is what God has made very clear to me in my life but I would say this more than anything else your kids know that you love them your kids you know they know you they know you love them what you have to do is let your kids know that you like them you like being with them it, it's they know that you oh yeah dad you love me and everything else and you, you they they understand that but what about liking them where you actually spend time with them that that's what they want more than anything else is your time is your attention and that's what I failed so miserably at the first time around and I have four beautiful people that I love beautiful kids that I love that were gypped of me because all I did was sit there and think of how do I stay in the National Football League? How do I stay when I didn't belong there 10 days, let alone 10 years? How do I stay here? I was myopic in my approach. I was so blinded by the time of just, I've got to do this. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, and I have to support my family, and I can set them up if I just. And that whole time, Trav, my kids didn't know how much I liked them. Wolf, the greatest thing. Um, about you. We talk um, on Big League Dad here about being a real man and um, the R representing rejecting passivity. You can't be passive in this world and the E representing empathizing with others and the A being accepting responsibility and the L being leading courageously. Mm. And um, just listening to you pour out your heart about your mistakes and your failures and your hopes and your dreams for your kids, man, I can't help but just but just think of what being a real man is a lot of times is not being perfect. It's, we're never going to be perfect. Sure. But accepting responsibility for the mistakes you make, respect, accepting responsibility for uh, what you are responsible for, yes. I see that in you. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned leadership there as well, right? Dads, serve. Serve your family. Serve your wife. Serve your kids. It's to lead is to serve others. 
and it's to serve them. I just little little things that you can do. There are little things, and you know, there's so many people. Listen, I've had a lot of head trauma. All right, there's no doubt about that. But I've I've had a lot of head trauma, and there's a lot of people that say, you know, okay, well, if you're going to tell me this, this is going to be a little weird here, but it's so true. Little little things that you can do. I I still I realize I'm old. I am. But getting out of the car and opening the car door for my wife is a, is a way to say, you know what? It's about them. It's not about me. It's about you. It's not about me. It's a way to serve. It's a way to remind myself to serve. Serve your wife. Serve your kids. It's the epitome of strength. It's not weakness. It's the exact opposite of weakness. It is strength. And I know you know that. But it's strength to serve your kids. It is strength to serve your wife. Meek is about being controlled, though you're capable. It's about controlling that capability and being strong while you serve others. That's what it is. And I think that is something that we we have got that so flipped backwards that a true man it's it's about me and i'm gonna lead and you know what you don't know what i'm what a joke that mentality truly is so i would encourage dads that are out there right now not only to let your kids know that you like them because they know you love them let them know you like them by spending time with them but i would also say serve There's no other better way to lead your family than to serve. Wolf, you are not a perfect man, but thank you for being a real man. Thanks for being a great man, and thanks for being a friend, man. Thank you, Trev. Appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate you. And thanks to Wolf for uh, being our very first guest on the Big League Dad podcast. And, man, just opening up and being authentic and real Uh, We know so many people can relate to some of the struggles that he has had. Uh, As I said before, this podcast exists to inspire Arizona dads to take a more active role in the lives of their families. And so we're excited to bring this to you. Uh, This is the first episode. We're going to be bringing these episodes to you all summer long. But thanks for joining us on our very first episode of the Big League Dad Podcast.